Hey friends, popping on quick before the episode just to let you know that uh, for about the first minute and a half of the episode after the intro, my mic was super wonky. So you're going to be hearing me through Julia's audio and it's rough for about a minute. Very sorry. But after that, it's going to get better. Just sit tight. Hope you all enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Those Who Inspire. Is this a theater podcast? Is it a motivational podcast? Is it an excuse for me to talk to people I've always wanted to talk to? Who's to say? My name is Emily Rose, and you guys, today I'm here with an absolute legend. Six-year-old me is screaming. 19-year-old me just can't believe that um, I was able to ask her to do this. And that she was so game. You know her from Wicked, Lennon, The Wild Party, and like a cabillion other things. But most importantly, she's my acting coach. And she's awesome. And I love her. And she's fully the reason I do what I do. I'm so excited to have her here today. Please join me in welcoming the one and only Julia Murdy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm good. I'm good. It's a very, very beautiful day outside. It's not too humid. The Olympics have begun. I don't know when this is, this will be aired. Sorry, the Olympics may be over by the time anyone hears this. Hopefully be over by by its natural conclusion as opposed to shut down early. This is my oh, hope. Yes. Because I'm an Olympic freakazoid. Are you really? I love the Olympics. I've been to the Winter Olympics. Uh, I went to Vancouver. Uh, I have not hit the Summer Olympics yet, but I will. And the Olympics have made it very difficult to love them this year. They have, there's been, it's sort of, I feel like it's the equivalent of, I can't, like for me, I keep coming back to, I'm just, I'm obsessed with the athletes and seeing them, uh-huh. uh, especially, I mean, yes, in the marquee events, of course, but I love the non-marquee events where I don't know that I don't think people can, you know, people aren't going to get on the cover of the Wheaties box or the, you know, like they're just not for archery or for badminton or whatever. And, and they are still operating at the peak of their powers and they're doing it for passion as opposed to it ever bringing them a cash flow or anything. And I just find that so inspiring and so awesome. I love l- small countries who send like two athletes. Yeah. I'm always like, come on, Bahrain, come on. And uh, yeah, it's, um. so I, I feel like it's sort of the equivalent to say that um, I respect the soldiers, but I'm not into the war. Yeah. You know? No, absolutely. Because uh, absolutely. a lot of what the IOC has been doing of late has been like, really? y'all yeah it was like every day too yeah something new so that part made me want to be like i'm not watching you i'm like who am i kidding i know i'm watching you i just need to also know what is happening so yeah i think the the olympics are like weirdly akin to what we do in a weird way this is their like opening night type thing like 
all in. Yeah, especially things. I love watching figure skating and stuff, which I know is not a summer event, but that's like that's my big my big Olympics jam. But I will tell you, uh, uh, I mean, in terms of like even figure skating, when I went to the Winter Olympics, we I went to the the ladies short program, and so you know, it, obviously there are a bunch of competitors that we don't see on the curated television, especially because our television um, is focusing on the American athletes. So Mm -hmm. if there's an American athlete in a lower, I learned this there, the groups are called flights and they start like the evening goes from the, the first flight is like the lowest ranked. And then it, I don't know how many people are in a flight, let's say 10. Um, And then it goes as as the flights go during the evening, you get to the elite skaters. But the first flights that are up, the only thing that you're going to see on, on an American television is uh, if there happens to be a skater from the U.S. in one of those l- more uh, less elite flights. But you don't see anybody else. But I got to see everybody because I was there. And I'll tell you what. Everybody fell. Now... <laughs> understand i still could not do anything those women were doing (laughs) like it's not like i was like well i could do this no i couldn't not one bit um but it was it was but my point is like they're still training they're still trying to get better even though they probably know somewhere in their head that there is a limit to what they'll eventually be able to achieve compared to the more elite athletes and but the passion and the drive is still there and they still skate and I think that's awesome I I think that's awesome I really do and the like I feel like I talk about that on here so much like the training seems to be what I tend to like gravitate towards and different roots of training people get to to quote unquote enter the business and um yeah, it feels very akin to to what we And are. I also, I mean, I do truly believe that, you know, if if you don't end up being the elite skater, shall we say. I mean, look, here's where athletics and, and the arts differ is because generally everything inside the athletic arena is based on a point system and it's based on like can you land on a single blade and are you taking off from the right whatever if we stick with the figure skating metaphor um and how many rotations you do and how difficult the jump you attempt is that's all math it's science it's math based what we do is completely subjective so Uh someone could see me in a show and think that's just the greatest thing they've seen since sliced bread. And someone else could be like, I was so bored and she did nothing for me. And the truth of it is they're both right. Like everybody's right. Cause it's just subjective. And maybe part of what I'm drawn to in the Olympics is that there, there is a math base. So you're like, I understand why that person didn't win. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> and because in, in our business, there's a lot of like, why didn't I win? Or why didn't he win? Whatever, you know, and it, who knows why? The answer is just yeah. because. That's a that's yeah. a rough answer to deal with. Yeah, for sure. That's like the the early on weird lesson 
I guess probably also from being like a kid actor. That was like, I'm glad I learned it so young. Yeah, but, I, I also yeah, think there's, I, I absolutely believe in the validity of, of theater in general. And I don't think it has to be that the focus and the goal of all theater is to be on Broadway. It's cool. Don't get me wrong. Like, it's great. It's also hard. It's also a job. It's also, if you end up in a flop, you have to deal with that. And if you end up in a, um, in a hit, you have to keep doing it. And it's hard. And, and there are things that go on and, and whatever. It's, it does become a job. It's not just a, a dream. And then when you cross through, forgive the analogy, that, you know, the doors of the Emerald City, that everything's all sparkly. <laughs> Everything's like, oh, this is where we are now. I see. And uh, I mean, I I often say, like, when I'm teaching, the the reason that generally that people go into the arts is because there was theater, like go into theater, for example. There was theater where they were when they grew up. And those people where you grew up or in smaller places look wicked. Yeah, no one can see this because this is a podcast, but I uh, fully went into the binder and I pulled out my my Julia Murney Wicked Playbill from when I was six years old. <laughs> how, first of all, how dare you? And uh, so, is that from the Gershwin or is that from tour? I can't, I don't. Yep. This one is fully, fully from the Gershwin, September 2007. I had this cute little girl come up to me a couple summers ago after something that I did. And she said, uh, I was in the Midwest and, and she was like, you are my first Alphaba. And I went, oh, and she's in Detroit. And I did indeed play Detroit. And I went, oh, wait, sweetie, how, how old are you? And she goes, 12. And I said, oh, honey, that, that wasn't me. Because she would have been an embryo, basically, when, like, she didn't see me. She saw another green girl, and we all tend to just blend into one another after a while. And and then I felt terrible because I, like, ruined her day. And I didn't mean to, but I was so like, there's no way you're old enough that you saw me. I should have just gone with it. Oh, well. And if I was there, I would have been like, you may not have seen her, but do you know who this is? We respect respect our our Supremes here in in this Wicked Coven. Our original Supreme. Also, she's little. She's little. So it was a it was a total slide. I let it slide. Oh yes, in the Wicked World, <laughs> so I am. Cute. I am. I am very aware. One of the big things is first witches. It doesn't mean that okay. you're their favorite witch. It just means you were their first one, and um, sort of like boyfriends or something. <laughs> but I I respect it. I under I understand what it means to people to have. Uh, had you be the first time they had this experience that does mean a lot to a lot of people. It's it's not constantly surprising because that makes it sound like I'm not aware of it. And I am. But it's I'm constantly just sort of tickled, I guess, in amazement that that show caught lightning in a bottle in a manner that keeps. And because all the young folk who were just the ripe age when it first came out, they've all grown up and many of them have children now. So it just keeps turning over on itself. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I think it very similarly to something like Phantom of the Opera, you know, people who were so bananas for Phantom of the Opera when they saw it, and then they go on to have children. And they're like, you have to come see my favorite show. It's the Phantom. And, 
you know, and Wicked even just sort of talks to a particular age and uh, and it talks to anyone most specifically, I think younger people who has ever felt less than or that they don't believe in themselves and who has ever not felt that way. So boom, hence you're still running 800 years later. 800 years later. It does feel weird, Wicked specifically, because... I was, oh, you're going to say, how dare you again? I'm so sorry. Um, I was two when Wicked opened. Mm-hmm. And, nice. Um, nice. Thank you. I, I was like already into to movie musicals and stuff. You know, my parents had shown me stuff, but it just so happened that The Wizard of Oz was my movie. I watched The Wizard of Oz daily. I was obsessed with it. I wanted to be Dorothy so bad. And then Wicked came out and my parents were like, we need to be listening to something else. Here is this the something else. And then I was like, wait a minute. How long did it take what before they were like, wait, we need now need to be listening to something else? Honestly, longer than you would think. They they're they're big into the into the wicked. Oh no. They, you know, that's why this happened. They they are very, very into Wicked. So now it just feels like it's something that's been around my whole life and I've got to see it multiple times. So every time I'm older and it's it's a little different. And now I I love characters that I didn't love when I was yet like Nessa's my jam. I love Nessa so much. And it's just, you know, the way it keeps evolving in my brain, it's just fascinating to me. Well, and I do think it's the kind of a... Have you read the novel? I have. I've only read the first one, but I have. Which yes. is quite very, very recently. A bit different <laughs> mm-hmm. than than the musical. I mean, it's much darker. It's much more political. And it's, frankly, I think, much sexier. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, spoiler alert, not really. Uh, in If you don't know this at this point, then sorry about it. But um, <laughs> in, in the book, Elphaba is actually allergic to water. And Dorothy does kill her. Like the ending is different than in the musical. I went to opening night and I remember sitting there when she popped up at the end, it was everything I could do not to go, no, oh no, because I liked the dark ending. I fully understand why the choice was made to do what they did. But I was like, "Ah, ah, what's she doing there? But um, be a little weighty. Yeah, but I mean, the, the, what Gregory Maguire, the, the writer of the novel, he just captured so deftly and did such a, a magic trick with these characters that we feel like we know. And I wondered how Wicked was going to do internationally because I was like, "Is I don't know, is The Wizard of Oz a really known product outside of the U.S. the way that it is inside? I mean, everybody in the United States knows Wizard of Oz. Yeah. It's always on at like whatever that is, Thanksgiving or... It feels very American. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's Kansas. It's, yeah, it's a very, very American feeling film. And, um, and I'll be damned. Like, I don't, I I do not know whether or not The Wizard of Oz is, is as known, but I know that it's also still running in London. I know that it, it has been in, you know, in Asia. I know that it's been, like, it's, it's remarkable. The show has sort of risen above its, maybe um uh uh, what's the word i'm looking for like more humbler origins and now it's just this massive yeah thing and you're part of that massive thing was that crazy like in the moment because i know it was it was still kind of early days like in in the moment was did it already feel like bananas to be a part of it um yeah It, it 
I mean, because because I was one of the like, you know, one of the OG, I guess, back in back in the day. Hell yeah. Hey. Uh, I mean, like I said, I went to opening night. I was fully aware of, of what the show was and all that kind of stuff. And I was rather intimidated by it, frankly. But when it came around to me, I was like, no, 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 I'm good. And they're like, no, no, we actually want you to do it. I was like, but I don't think I can. They're like, no, we think you can. And then I ended up doing it. Um, but it was it was so different to step into a piece because I started on tour and when I went on tour it was the um, it was still first run everywhere it was hitting each city for the first time and so people were out of their minds and we did relatively short sit downs by the time I came into the tour like they were almost always two or three weeks maybe there was a five week but that was it which is kind of genius because what they do is you know you book it for a short time and it becomes such a hot ticket and the yeah. next time it comes through they're like well i gotta see it this time smart using your noggin in yeah. the in the business <laughs> department um and uh and those theaters the um the touring theaters in general are much larger than a Broadway house. And so you come out, I mean, some of the houses are even bigger than normal. Like the the Fox, the fabulous Fox, they call it. Uh-huh. In uh, Atlanta, there's also one in St. Louis. There might be a third one. I can't remember where. I played it in Atlanta. And it's massive. I don't know what it is. It's like 4,500 seats or something. It's a lot. And I think the Christ. Gershwin is like 1,600. Yeah, like it, I, I may be totally off on my numbers, but it's absolutely much larger. I know that. And you come out and the theater is beautiful and the and the ceiling has this whole cloudscape on it that actually shifts during the evening. I sometimes would get so in to me the best way, but probably not to the audience distracted by it because I'd just be like, oh, that's pretty. Oh, I have a line like it was just, <laughs> but but to come out and have them scream at the end of whatever you know wizard and i like mick jagger's on stage and you're kind of like who are they clapping for oh me oh okay cool and they're very um i feel like to a certain degree with that show it became so built in because people did like yourself listen to the album as ad nauseum and and all that kind of stuff that you could, you know, paint my mom green and stick her on that cherry picker and people would be like, oh, it's the best show I've ever seen. You know, and look, my mom might nail it. You don't know. Anne Marnie might nail yeah. it. But uh, like they were already in. Like, you didn't have okay. to work that much harder to also win them over. They were like, I'm here. I'm yeah. here for this. And that part was was very exciting. The stage door was really crazy. Especially because there was never, uh, it's not like Broadway where there are um, uh, like stanchions between you and the, like there's, there's no setup for a stage door signing experience. You just walk out and it's a sea of people. And uh, that was a little bonkers. It's funny. I, I, just because I just mentioned Atlanta, I remember um, my dressing room was over the stage door and I was always the last person out because I have to take a shower and get the green off and whatever. And, um, 
usually very kindly, Sebastian Arcellus, who was my Fira, would always wait for me and walk me. We'd walk back to our hotel together because sometimes you're in some sketchy areas. Yeah. But in Atlanta, our hotel was just across the street. So he didn't have to wait for me. But I always knew, like, in my timing of how long is this taking me, I always knew when Sebastian would walk out the stage door because I was right over the door. And there would just be, like, girls screaming like they were going through puberty. You know, they were like, the dream boat is here. And I was like, oh, there's Seb. Okay. So he's out. So I should be done in, like, five minutes. Yeah, I should wrap this up. It was so crazy. But, you know, they, just- they love it. Did you yeah. did you stage door after you saw it? I have never staged door any time I saw Wicked actually. I've I'm any I have that wasn't a thing when I was a kid that I yeah. ever did. I don't remember. I mean, it wasn't. It's become much more of its own little culture of. Yeah, there's been like times specifically like um, like waitress. I ended. I saw um Shoshana Bean and Jeremy Jordan. We must stage door because royalty so i you know i staged toward that i, I staged toward that too but that's uh, because they're my friends <laughs> yeah the first time i staged toward waitress it was to go see one of my friends inside but after that i was like we'll be standing here or like uh carrie butler and beetlejuice really wanted to you know see her but wicked i think someone else staged toward for me because for my birthday they gave me um a playbill that uh, Jessica Vosk signed because I I am obsessed with her. But yeah, I somehow I've never staged George Wicked ever. Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> sometimes there are people that I know have not seen the show, and they're yeah, just stage dooring, having things get signed, and you're kind of like, really? What do you, What are you all about? What are you collecting? Like, I'm not worth fifty seven cents. You're not selling this on some like theatrical black market or anything and but you know collectors are collectors i guess it's it's wild it's a it's a very different um, experience to be in especially after the broadway show i did prior to that which was a huge flop and we still had people at stage door too to be fair and and i still to this day will be somewhere and someone will say oh i loved lennon or they'll say that about any show that I happen to have been in. I'm like, yeah, there you go. Again, it's subjective. They are correct. Also, people who didn't like it are correct. I may not agree with them, but they're not incorrect. Speaking of Lennon, I I had a, an idea for, I'll call it a game in quotations. Okay. But um, mostly you do all the work and I reap all the rewards, you know. I see. Game. I see. Um, <laughs> Because I, I mean, I love a Wicked interview. I'm obsessed with the Sentimental Men podcast. Um, I know, aren't they great? Those, and you guys, if you're listening, go listen to the Sentimental Men. They're so great. And, you know, I feel like sometimes interviews with, with the green girls can get very green girl centric, which we love. I mean, I, I constantly, I mean, like, I feel like in our sessions, I'm always like, Julia, tell me about <laughs> when you were in Wicked. Like, I'm like, like a three-year-old like just tell me tell me about when you were in this way yeah it's a whole thing but basically I have here a deck of index cards upon which I have written I, I did a did a deep dive on your resume and I've just written some some shows some roles you played so that we can kind of navigate some questions I might have about those or things that I feel like I actually haven't heard you talk about before. okay I'm, I'm, I'm sitting up I'm ready <laughs> so first one that I found that I was so excited to see you had played this role because like 
Duh. You were the baker's wife in Into the Woods. Yes, I was. That is true. Tell me about Into Were you was Into the Woods a show that you knew growing up? Like I played Baker's Wife in high school, uh, so I feel like it's like a Yes, but not growing up, thing. dear, because <laughs> oh, I'm 100 oh. years older than you. <laughs> so that was your growing up. Uh no, I saw it when uh I believe I saw it when I was in college. Um that's when it came out. Um I played it at the Pioneer Theater Company in Salt Lake City. And it's it's a perfectly written role. It is. It's just that it the, the the book is so yeah. good. The the stuff she gets to sing is awesome. Then you die and you don't have to sing the hardest song in the show, which is your fault because you're dead. So aces. And then you come back in the end, and you're like a spooky ghost and you make everybody cry. So that's yeah. That's the goal. It's a, as as roles go. It's it's pretty awesome. Um, I loved playing her. I'm grateful that I got the chance to play her. Uh, there are some roles that I have definitely aged out of that it would have been fun to play and I never got to play. So I'm really really grateful that I had a, a chance to to bite into that one. And I will say, like one of my enduring memories of that show was our witch was a woman called Dottie Stanley who was awesome. And traditionally, because of Bernadette, the witch has last bow. That's just like how it's built in. And we were staging the bows and uh, the director was like, you know, telling us what to do. And the baker and the baker's wife come out and bow. And he was like, and then Dottie, you'll be next. And she fully right there in front of it, she was like, actually, no, it's not the witch's story. It's the baker and the baker's wife story. And she gave us final bow. She talked him into switching it, which to me, I mean, obviously it was very, um, I guess, exciting to get to have that, but it doesn't you know, mean anything, but it was more the generosity of her because uh, often people don't, wouldn't want to give up something like that. Yeah. And uh, I never forgot that. I, I never forgot that moment where she was like, I mean, because the truth of the matter is, bottom line, none of it matters. So in terms of the story, and sometimes it's a matter of feeling like sometimes curtain calls are uneven. And there are characters that, I mean, yes, of course, it has to do with the actor sometimes. But sometimes it's just the character that tends to get a response. And then whoever has yeah. to come out after them. Sometimes we'll be like, I hate bowing after that person because you feel the audience like, yeah, and they're like, yay, you know, and you feel it. You're like, mm. and it's not a comment on the actor. I think it's just a comment. It truly, sometimes, I don't know if you've ever seen this, like when the villain comes out for their curtain call, sometimes people will boo if they, if they bow yeah. like a villain. And so it was such a tiny thing, but I was so moved by that. That's something I remember very keenly from doing that. I will say, actually, my choreographer did the same exact in in that same exact way. Did the same thing for me when I it was my like senior show. So you know, you know, your senior show is like picked around mm -hmm. your senior class or whatever. And I remember my best friend and I. I wanted to be Little Red, and she wanted to be the Baker's wife, and it was like this whole thing. We're like, yeah, like sure, that that's what we're gonna go for. And then we ended up getting the opposite role from each other so she was little red which totally makes sense when you look at us like it she's like little and tiny and I'm like average height so she looked like a child next to me and 
I remember, I mean, A, being, I, I wasn't ready for how hard I think that part was. And I think yeah, partially because it's a part that I am not the correct age to play. Well, yeah, I was going to say, let's like, be clear. It was also yeah. hard because you don't understand anything you're exactly. talking about. I, I don't understand any of it. Yeah. But also like the... I remember having that moment where I was like, oh, my God, I've watched Into the Woods my whole life and not keyed into the fact that it's about her and her husband, like, because I don't understand that. So I'm obviously going to look for the in that I understand in the story. Yeah. Well, when I saw I. okay, I've already aged myself, so who cares? When I saw the original (laughs) Once on this Island on Broadway. Oh, God. I loved it. I mean, it was magical. LaShawn's was magic on a stick, like all of it. I loved the music. I loved the staging, blah, blah, blah. So, and I knew that album, by which I mean cassette tape. You're welcome. Um, Yeah, for like, I knew it backwards and forwards. And, uh, but never saw the show again until years later. They did a production of it at Paper Mill in New Jersey. And I went to see it because I had some friends in it. And I was a much older person and I did not, and I hadn't listened to it in ages, but I did not understand when I loved it so much as a much younger person that that show is not about this young girl getting her dream. It's about her parents letting her go. It's about her parents understanding that they cannot control her destiny or whatever may happen in her zeal to fulfill what she may think is her destiny. And it was so moving at my friend, Kanita Miller played the mom and she was ridiculously beautiful. And I cannot recall the name of the man who, who played, Oh, was it Kevin? I think it was my friend, Kevin free. Uh, They were so good. Everyone was so good. But I happened to have, I had no tissues. I had a cocktail napkin like in my pocket randomly, (laughs) which by the end of that show was a dissolved mess because I could not stop crying. It was just so beautiful in a completely different way than years earlier when I became obsessed with the show. Oh my God, Julia, that's adorable. (laughs) That's, That's what happens. It's yeah, it's like you were saying, like the su- the subjectiveness of, of everything. Like that's been something as I, you know, because I became an adult during a lockdown, I was watching all of these things that I hadn't seen since I was younger, like West Side Story, especially watched it for the first time since I was like 10. And I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. I didn't get it. I didn't get into the woods until yeah. and I had okay. to. You're not supposed to. Yeah, you know, like, like and then it, it feels so awesome to like. It, it just reminds me why I love it. I guess it's like you know, every time you go in and you get that new. Well, in the same way with Wicked, you know, a young person watching Wicked sees, like, oh, she's she's green and nobody likes her, but then in the end she gets the boy. And to me, in Wicked, it's she's a girl and she becomes a woman. She grows yeah. up and has to figure out how to navigate the world uh, and how the world is treating her on her own terms and all that sort of thing. And um, it's just different. It's going to land differently. I mean, I think, of course, I say this because I was one of the 
which is on the elder side when I when I played her. But I, to me, that show is the most effective when the witches are a little mature, a little more mature, simply because they go for they both go from girls to women. And if you're a grown, grown adult person, you know what that is. And you can lean into what it was like to be younger. But if you're a younger person, you're guessing at what it's like to be older. Nothing's wrong with that casting. It's not like it's faulty. I just think it's more um, effective. Again, saying that from the mature point of view. No, yeah, it's just like playing when people have to play like old people in high school. Yeah. And you're like, what? You're just taking a shot at it. You're looking at your grandparents. I'm 15. I don't know what's up. Yeah, like, <laughs> totally. Totally. I mean, how many high schools do like Fiddler on the Roof? Like people are exactly. handling Tevya and Golda and even, you know, they're handling, is it Kava who, who falls in love with like the boy she's not supposed to love and she has to leave her family? I'm going to say... Yeah. A lot of kids who were just doing Fiddler on the Roof in their high school cannot relate to that. Some of them sure can, I'm sure. But a lot of them are just like, she's got the pretty voice, so she won Hava. You know? Doesn't mean that she knows that feeling of to, to make that song really break you in two. But not saying that you have to live the thing you're playing, but it's just the knowledge of life and years under your belt. Yeah. For sure. Next one I have. The hair concert. Ah. Oh, yes. Actress Fun Benefit. Obsessed with that video. Please. The video? Tell me this. Oh. Oh, the video of the hair concert? Please don't tell people to watch that video. Good God in heaven. <laughs> well, you ready? Here's the. Have you heard the album, first of all? I have heard the album. That's why I was going to say. This is why I'm obsessed with the the video and i want obviously want you to explain this this story because i know there was like a whole thing happening yes but i'm obsessed with that video because you never stop acting and the first like i i know like you are so supremely committed to to what you're doing that it's like it's still fabulous but yes i absolutely want to know what the whole so ish that was happening for those listening who don't know the Actress Fund did several concerts, one night only concerts, these huge productions of shows. It started with Dream Girls, they did Funny Girl, they did Chess, they did Hair, and they did Whorehouse. And um, Best Little Whorehouse in that Texas. Really Sorry. Uh, and, so um, and, uh, the, and a lot of them had like twists to them. Like Funny Girl, there was a different Fanny Bryce in every scene. And Hair was totally like ripped apart and taken not out of context, but songs were assigned to many people. Some women, I sang a a song that is traditionally sung by a guy in the show, that kind of thing. So I sang, where do I go? Uh, It was the closer of act one, I think. Um, I'm not positive, but I think. And, um, uh, and like the dream girls concert, for example, uh, got recorded and and released as an as an album and uh that couldn't happen with funny girl and chess i believe because of um rights and with chess i think there were some i think with both concerts there were there were just people in those concerts who were like signed to record labels and so there's just complications with putting out an album Uh anyway but hair was a plan to be released. I don't know why hair was done and the others not. That's not my purview. Um, 
And uh, I had just come back that day from doing ragtime in North Carolina. And where I had had a severe allergic reaction basically to the mold in the state of North Carolina. And so by the end of the run, which was pretty short of ragtime, I was just raggedy. I didn't know. And, and mother, you know, is a, not a super belty role. And, uh, but I was like, what is going on? And then somebody said to me, well, you know, that, that everything's riddled with mold in this state. I was like, oh, it is. That would explain it. Cause I, I had been tested and I knew that was one of the things I was allergic to. So that day I, uh, I got to rehearsal and, um, I was talking to a group and I was just like, I don't know. I'm just like, I feel like I'm halfway to busted. I don't know what's going on. And someone was like, oh, here, this is what I take when I'm having a rough time, uh, like for just vocal, uh, uh, soothing and care. And, uh, they're like, it's from Westerly, which is a health food store here in the city. Uh-huh. And, um, and you take like five at a time. And I was like, okay. And I just took it without thinking twice. Cause it's like anything to help. And a few hours go by and we're the, the show is beginning and I have a whole act to wait until the end of the act to do my number. And a, I don't know, about a half hour before I go on, I, I went to go, ah, just to kind of keep warm. And I went, ah, 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 ah. what? What is happening? Oh my God. Panic. And I, the show's happening. The show is going on. And I stood backstage right before my entrance with the microphone in one hand and a hot, hot uh, mug of water in the other hand, just gargling. Bless you. Thank you. (laughs) I mean, right until the moment I walked out on stage and I sound like I have some weird trick Adam Pascal voice that no one ever knew about, which fun fact, I do not have a weird trick, amazing Adam Pascal voice. I was busted and I had to sing the song in front of a completely packed new Amsterdam theater house for the only night that was, it was in existence. And I'm like, in the back of my brain, I'm like, you're going to have a blowout. You're going to blow out right here. This was pre wicked for me. And once I did Wicked, oh, I had so many lovely blowouts on stage. It really like just makes that makes the scar really deep because you're like, go ahead. What else you got? I've blown out. You can't do anything to me. But this was the first time I had really been in that position of fear. And those one night concerts are always a sort of jump for Jesus because you've got one shot. And um, it was rough. But I've I have had that happen since I did a concert of the last five years with Jason Robert Brown at UCLA one night. And that was also, I was having some allergy, deep allergy issues and I was fine during the, during our, our rehearsal, completely fine. But once we started the concert, I was like, Oh my God. And I just kept thinking, thank God these songs are what they are. And they're while very vocally difficult and I'm probably going to sound like scratch on them. At least I can act them to your point. Like just tell the story, tell the story, tell the story. There's no way around the audience. If they know my voice, not going, huh? She sounds a little something, something's up, 
But I was just hoping beyond hope that we could get away with it. Beyond myself, there were a lot of glitches that night, like forgotten lines, even though a lot of people were holding their books because it's all a concert. It's kind of it's pretty loose. But there was just a lot of there's a it was much more messiness in that concert than there had been in prior concerts. And because of all of that, the album, we went into the studio and recorded the album. I mean, thank God, because if they had I don't think they could have released the way I sounded on that video. That's just not anything anyone's paying money for but because and it still took me i mean that allergy that allergic reaction to whatever that stuff was i woke up the next morning and my face had puffed out like i was clearly something had gone and no one did this on purpose but um but i don't i'm gonna say the album recording happened like the the initial day there were a few days happened like maybe two weeks later i was still i still didn't I was still out. Like I, I tried and we were like, no, this isn't going to happen. We're going to, I'm going to come back for the later date. And then it was okay. But um, that is why you will find a very different vocal quality on the Grammy nominated hair album versus the yes, girl. bootleg video of. I, I know I feel like, you know, obviously if it was me, I would be like, no, no one should watch that video. But I do seriously think that like, it's, the, like I said, it's just like the supreme commitment to the storytelling because that's what's important. And as I like have started retraining, especially with you and with my other coach and stuff, like it's clicked me into more of like you need to you need to keep focusing on storytelling the whole time. You can't you drop have it to because that's the most important part. It's the gift that keeps on giving to finish the wizard and I alone on stage with your arms stretched out and to think in your brain, oh God. That is not how I meant to sound. I have to sing 87 more songs that are all ball busters like this one. And like you want to look at the audience and be like, would you like your money back in cash or should I just put it back on your credit card? What would you like? What can we do? But none of those things happen, nor do you get to walk off stage and be like, damn it, you just cross left and you start another song. And you have to just tell the story not only do you have to tell the story inside the song that you might be like blowing out on you have to continue telling the story as you cross left to start the next song because it's not your job to try and somehow uh, signal to the audience like i know i don't sound great don't be mad because that's about julia that's not about alphaba and they didn't pay to see julia they paid to see alphaba so you uh, it was a it was a constant learning lesson of just tell the story, tell the story, tell the story, which perhaps I was primed for by that evening at the New Amsterdam in hair. Where do I go? Follow the children. Where do I go? Follow their smiles. Is there an answer in their sweet faces that tells me why?
next one, one that I'm uber obsessed with, that I never hear anybody talking about. And we need to get on that right now, just as a group. Little Princess. Oh. Oh, girl, I am obsessed with that album. And I partially think it's because you told me to listen to it. Like, you told me it existed. But I don't remember. Feel I feel like you. we might have been on something and we had talked about it. And I was like, oh, I got to go listen to that. It's a concept album with a bunch of fancy people on it. So many fancy people on that album. But you, correct me if I'm wrong, you've never been in like a production of it? Like- no, I've been in a reading of it. We did a reading of it for something or other. Uh, and you know who was in that reading as a little girl was Sarah Highland. Do you know who Sarah Highland is? Yeah, I do. She was in it. I don't know that she would remember me. I mean, obviously, she's become a big famous TV star. So I'm like, oh, my God, that's Sarah Hyland from Little Princess. And I believe Will Chase was in that reading. I'm trying to remember who played the princess, because I think Sarah played like one of the mean girls. Anyway, um, so I did that one reading. But yeah, the only production, I'm sure there have been other productions now, but like the one sort of major production was out in California, um, I think. In Palo Alto, I'm yeah. pretty sure. That sounds right. But uh, but yeah, so th- that that was one of those shows that went the route of well, make the album, and then you can sell the show, regionally and and whatever. Yeah. And it's a sweet show. It is. I, that music is so. And I mean, it's Andrew Lippa, so duh. Yeah. But like, it that music is so good and I'm definitely obsessed. like that live out loud has certainly become one of those like oh if i'm coaching a master class dollars to donuts some someone's gonna sing live out loud because uh, it's a great song you know and it, yeah. it, it there's there's often a lipa there's there's a live out loud or there's a um pulled from adam's family there's often a pull from adam's family or <laughs> gimme gimme or well that's not a lipa though but yeah, oh yeah, well, Lippe specifically. There is there is often yes. a gimme gimme, and then sometimes when people are feeling like super ballsy in a masterclass, they'll sing something of mine by Lippa. They'll sing like "I'm Not Waiting" or they'll sing something from Wild Party, and you're like, okay, all right, let's go, let's go. I'm, I'm not mad. Go ahead and do it. I wouldn't have had those guts. Same, honestly. But yeah, rock on. Let's let's do it. So yeah, that was yeah. So we only did that reading. That was my only experience, and then just recorded the song, and and that was that. That's weirdly one of those, like that's a book that I was totally into as a kid. Oh yeah, and and still to this day, I mean, I didn't even say it. Julia played Miss Minchin. Um, oh, right. I think, I think... <laughs> yeah, we didn't. We just skipped over that entirely. I was I a think... little princess. <laughs> I think Miss Minchin is one of the most perfectly written villains of all time. She's like so believable and sucks so much to play a villain of that like size that's still very grounded must be in a way very fun. She's you're doing horrible things, but it must be very fun. And it was hard because I also think that I, I think we must have done it done the reading for this thing called Namped where you present I don't even think we did the whole show. I think we did excerpts from the show because I don't even feel like I know the entire piece. So it's hard to say that I lived in her very much because uh, you're kind of like just doing a Hail Mary and going, all right, just make a choice. Make like a really bold choice 
and someone will tell you actually like point it this way a little bit and you're like okay got it and that's that there's no time for like the discussion of like can we talk about why she would like no we can't yeah. we can't be quiet and i love to ask those questions but i you know i have, have tried to learn you know to, to recognize when those questions are not timely but yeah i mean so because that's i mean here here's it that's lucky right is that the lucky song yes yeah okay yes like i truly have to remember i i had somebody dm me on instagram recently saying this song uh ended up on a mixtape of mine can you possibly tell me what it's from i think it's you but it's not labeled or anything and she sent it to me now when i tell you it did not ring a single bell, but listening to it, I'm like, I am pretty sure that's me. And like, <laughs> and then as I was listening, I'm like, and I'm pretty, there were three voices in it. It's like, and I'm pretty sure voice number two is Shoshana Bean. And I'm not sure who three is. It's maybe Jen Kalala. And, but I wasn't sure about Jen. And she figured it out. And it was actually, it was an Andrew Lippa. It was a demo that never saw the light of day. I don't know how it ended up in this girl's hands, but, but my point is I wasn't even like, Oh, right. That song, not a moment of recognition. That's so sad. That's iconic though. <laughs> that means you've done a lot of work. It's not a comment on the quality of the material. It's just a comment on the legacy of my brain is just too filled with nonsense and I have to forget things. And that was one of the things I just plum forgot. But Lucky, the song from uh, Little Princess, is just like a fun, it's sort of one of those delicious uh, songs yeah. that doesn't require belting like a banshee. You know, it's just, it's more of a, a low burn, which is also nice, frankly. That's one I would love to see a I don't even know. Reading production. I don't care what it is, but that's definitely a role I would love to see you play because I think it would be great. <laughs> Next up, Queen of the Mist. Another album I'm obsessed with. Girl. Yeah. So good. <laughs> that show is uh, by Michael John LaCusa and was done with the Transport Group uh, in, I don't know what year, a few years ago. Uh, and it was about, it was gorgeous. And it's about the first person who happened to be a woman who went over Niagara Falls and lived. I mean, went over purposefully in a barrel and lived. And her name was Anna Edson Taylor. And um, the piece was actually commissioned uh, by the transport group. They commissioned Michael John to write this piece because they, they were doing this series of like a new musical, a new commissioned musical for every decade of the 20th century so this was the first one and um i do not know if those commissions have continued or not i have no idea but um and michael john has a very long history of working with mary testa so he wrote it for her to play anna annie as she's called and um it it was one of those experiences of seeing like two artists who understand one another so keenly and he writes for her so specifically and so well and she interprets him so well it was just i mean it's all her the show is like uh, all her and the the 
experience that she goes through inside of the show. Because a lot there's not a ton about Annie that exists. So a lot of it is there are factual moments in it that are certainly based in exactly what happened. But a lot of what's inside of it is from Michael John's imagi- imagination. And um, it was so it was such a moving piece to be a part of. It truly was. It was this sounds like ho- hokum, but it's not like it was it was an honor to be one of the like the ba- the the wind for Mary's sails and um there were how many of us i can't remember maybe six people plus mary in the show i'd have to think about it uh was not a big cast and we all played many people and mary played annie and um uh it was just it's it's such a beautiful show and the staging of it, it was directed by uh jack cummings who is the artistic director of the transport group and um he's an amazing director his visual style is like and um what he did with that show was so gorgeous and i i'm just sad that more people didn't get to see it and it would not have been the same honestly if it had even moved from where we did it. We did it at this place called the Judson, at the gym, the gym at the Judson, which is down off of Washington Square Park. And it's this weird space. And the way this, the setup of the seats, you can kind of do whatever you want with the seats. And so it was a very specific setup that would be very difficult to replicate uh, in another theater. You could do it at, it, it, it was, it's, Sort of, kind of in the round. Not exactly, but sort of, kind of. So you could do it in the round. But, oh my gosh, what they did was, it was so beautiful. And and I'm so happy that the album exists. I feel sad, sad. I feel, it, it, it's, it's a bummer to think that not a lot of people know about it. Because I feel that people should be doing it. Now, the yeah. trick is, you have to have someone... You're not going to have someone like Mary Testa, but you've got to have someone who can come close to what Mary Testa does. You've got to have someone who can actually handle and talk about needing to, it helping, we'll just say, to understand what it's like to be a woman of a certain age going through what that woman went through. Um, But I do feel like it would be such a great show for universities, for example, to do. It's not a big cast. It's it doesn't fill a lot of things that I know colleges look for in shows. That's why like all colleges do the wild party because it's a big cast. And there are lots of roles and lots of people get to do things and all that kind of stuff. Queen of the Mist is much more um, intimate. And and if you're looking for shows where like many of your students can have chances to shine, like that show is a hundred percent about her. But I do wish that people knew about it and did it more because I think it's absolutely stunning. And Michael John's uh, many things, but one of them is an extraordinary uh, lyricist. His lyrics, oh my gosh. His lyrics in terms of managing the interpretation of the human condition are, I mean... It's so sort of bogus to make this comparison, but like they are on a level with Sondheim as far as I'm concerned. 
think uh, I don't think it's fair that everything gets compared to Sondheim, but there is a reason, I guess, because <laughs> because yeah. he's real, real good at the thing. Yeah, that one thing he does. Yeah, I know. I think that album when when I listened to it for the first time, it was another. It just keeps coming back to like character. This episode, I don't know why that's like our theme, but the 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 character, all of the characters, like you said, like everyone plays multiple characters. They all are so apparent in in the way that the music's written and the way that the lyrics are written and like you get it without and that's so cool i'm so i'm so glad it's awesome i'm so glad i mean it'd be interesting like to have i don't know like a group of five people listen to that album and then describe what they think is going on and again to a certain degree they'd all be correct you know but they're just they're interpreting what they're hearing um but yeah, it's a very, his stuff is exceedingly character driven. Yeah. Which is why it's so delicious to, to chomp into. And Break Down the Door is a great song. <laughs> it's Thank so you. fun. It's, it's a really, one of my moments of great subtlety. Wherein, I, I don't know if you know this part. So that character, that, that is an actual woman who lived. Her name was Carrie Nation. And she was a prohibitionist, which meant she was she was actually part of what was called the temperance movement, which she was wildly against alcohol. I will tell you, if you want to look up Carrie Nation, she was what you might call a handsome woman. (laughs) Girl, that was rough. Uh, But Carrie Nation's thing that what she became known for is that she would walk into random bars unannounced with an axe and start chopping up the bar. Girl, yeah, don't mess with Carrie. And that number break down the door. We are all holding little axes and doing like choreography with little axes. And there was a number. There was a duet. So there's a song on the album called "The Green" that uh, Annie yeah. sings. That was a duet for like one night only, and where she and Carrie and Annie sang together. They were both spoke at at the same symposium or something, and they had this. Uh, and it it turned into just Annie singing it to Carrie. But the one night that it was a duet, it was you. It was two women belting so high, it just kept going and going and going. Truth of the matter is, it didn't fit and was not. And so we stripped it out and it went back to the solo. But one night only, some audience members saw. Uh, screlt off of ridiculous proportion. It was really dumb. I wish. <laughs> I wish I had seen it. Oh my God. And I love, that's another thing that I, I love the female characters in that show. Because regardless of, of what you think of their, I think it's, it's similar to Little Princess in a way. Obviously, we hate everything that character is is doing. Miss Minchin sucks. Carrie Nation's like making a big choice that not everyone agrees with. But like the 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 way that these characters are allowed to just be and to be women and to just do their thing. And in that awesome. show, that's part of like the heartbreak of Annie is that she's she's not a lovable. She's difficult yeah. to love. It's not that she's not lovable but she makes it very difficult to love her. And that was very much based in what Michael John could find of fact of her. She was rough, but she was also, they done her dirty. That woman mm-hmm. built a barrel of her own constriction, uh, construction 
and that she made in her head, someone else constructed it, but she knew what she wanted and put herself in it and threw herself over Niagara Falls because she was that desperate to find money and the notoriety that came with it. And even though she achieved that, it, and it was back during a time when those kinds of fits of feats of daring do, as they call it, were a thing. They they done her wrong. They were up because she was she didn't come out of the barrel and she was like this gorgeous, incredibly friendly and polite. She was like a harsh. She didn't couch her phrases. She said what she thought and they didn't know what to do with her. She wouldn't fit into what they wanted her to be. Mm-hmm. And she died with no money. She I mean, she'd gone blind no family left. And for a minute, she was the toast of the town. But she then didn't serve up what they, whoever the people in charge of these things wanted and bit by bit. And yet you love her, even though you're like, oh my God, (laughs) that's, that's a little harsh. But yeah, it is fascinating to play people like that. Next one. Uh, I've grouped together your work at the Muni. We've got Amazing Maisie, Princess Fiona, and the iconic Donna Sheridan. Indeed. What's it like working at the Muni? Because that seems like so much fun. It is so much fun. It is an incredible amount of fun. Um, It's very hard. Like it's because it's so fast. It's super, super fast. You are, you learn the show and you're up in 10 days and you have to arrive by you. I mean me, I had to arrive as off book as possible because I wasn't going to trust my brain to be able to learn stuff like that in 10 days. Now I always had in mind, however, the fact that for example, the ensemble could not do that. They don't know what parts they're singing. They can't cut. I mean, they can be familiar with the music, I suppose, because it's always, it's not original shows. But, um, so, I mean, God bless the ensemble at the Muni, because they have to come in, maybe familiar, but that's about it. And then learn what they have to learn, plus all the staging and the choreography and the ga-ga-ga. And it's hot. It's really, really hot in the summertime in St. Louis. And... You rehearse outside. I mean, you're undercover, but you generally are rehearsing outside. Uh, there is a thing called the sweat tech where you have one day where you tech on the stage in the sun and it is bonkers. Ooh. People who work at the Muni are standing like in the wings and they've got sunscreen. They've got like uh, if you're if you're someone who's on stage a lot, they will come over and hold an umbrella over you for shade while they're figure because the sweat tech isn't about lights obviously because it's sunny out it's about the moving parts of the set because it's yeah. i think it's 11,000 seats it's this massive amphitheater and the set is massive massive it isn't always the most intricate because shows only play for a week and then the next one is built it's a lot of flats and stuff but there are 3D things that happen and there's automation and there are things that come on and go off and have to you know, figure all that out. And it's like, you really ha- have to keep your brain sharp. 
the audiences are so loyal. They love the Muni. They love the experience. They will, if there is a rain hold, because they'll hold for a long time at the Muni uh, uh, on a rain delay, because if they cancel the show halfway through or whatever, they have to give rain tickets to 11,000 people, which is going to screw up the whole rest of their summer in terms of seating and all that. So they'll hold as long as they can. And that audience will sit there. They'll bring ponchos. They'll have, they'll wait. They will wait. And I've always done, I mean, those three shows, Susical, Shrek, and Mamma Mia are three very joyous musicals. You know, they're, they're fun. They're light. They're cotton candy. But they also do like Fiddler on the Roof and shows like that, like people, A, wearing wool costumes. Let's start there. God bless. <laughs> Every show that I've done, I've been in barely anything or I'm supposed to be on a Greek island. So I'm dressed appropriately for the season we're actually in. And but I mean, I'm in a in a weird way. I'm so grateful. I would love to work there again and I really hope that it's in another joyful show <laughs> I just can't imagine I haven't even seen honestly uh, like I didn't see Fiddler when they did it the shows that I've seen there the shows that have been up right before the, my show have also been like Spamalot and things like that, like just lighter fare uh, but they do they do go for the for the deep ones from, from time to time and uh, but it's it's a it's a ball it's a ball. I think they're doing Billy Elliot this season. I think I saw. I, I know that's been in their plan for a while, so I would imagine, yeah. Which, like, that's a that is a lot of uh, layers of clothing to be wearing <laughs> outside. That's fun. Yeah, I like though that you know because when I when I was looking when I was digging through your resume and finding all those characters and finding there is video of it on YouTube. There's like a little trailer video. That's all I could get. Oh, yeah. So there's like there's like little I, you could see like part of your songs, but it was super cool to see because I haven't for me anyway, something I hadn't seen you do before. And it was it was really cool. I love seeing like Amazing Maisie, for example, is like not something where I would have immediately been like, yeah. But then I was like, yeah, it's perfect. And it fits. <laughs> I have a dramatic face. I don't have a face that a lot of people. Uh, it's funny. I, I, I often feel like there is a group of people who uh, know that I'm funny. And then there's another group of people who have, they don't think that I am. She's so funny. Because I have often done, I mean, the things that I'm more known for are, yeah, I have a drama ballad after a drama ballad, or I am angry or I, and, and uh yeah, so I think that's part of what my joy of working at the Muni has been is that is getting to. Uh, I mean, the first show I did there was um, wait, what order did I do them in? Oh, it was Shrek. It was Shrek, uh, and uh, John Tartaglia directed it, who from the original cast of Avenue Q, and uh, and then the next time I worked there in, in Susical, he was the Cat in the Hat, so. <laughs> But he's an awesome director, and and I was I'm just forever grateful to my friend Johnny because he he was the one who thought of me because we're friends, and he knew that I could. And even Fiona yeah. is like a little yeah. like on the edge of 
Oh, well, she's sort of dramatic, but she's not. There's a whole song about farting, for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> Stephen Wallum, who played Shrek, was so genius. And the donkey was Michael James Scott, who's the genie now in Aladdin. Yes, I love him. And um, and Rob McClure was Farquaad. Oh, my God. This cast was stacked. Oh, the Muni, the Muni will stack it. The Muni is not afraid to stack it. Yeah. <laughs> Trust. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Next one, which is, again, the opposite. We're going back the dramatic route. You know, if someone said to me, like, what is the one thing you're most upset you didn't get to see? Guys, she was Mama Rose and Gypsy. Tell me about it. Tell me about playing that iconic, iconic character. (laughs) Well, I I did Gypsy at the Cape Playhouse. As you can imagine, it is a very well-written show. the best show just as solid as solid can be the book is so good that if you didn't have the songs it would still be compelling again that was a very fast that was like a two-week rehearsal process so i had to absolutely be especially with her i I was barely barely off book even by first performance it was i mean the first performance i remember i would like and that first scene when you enter she's just like and she's it's the it's the talent show with all the kids on stage and uncle jocko and she's got the dog and there is a there are a lot of elements going on which it the whole scene finally ends with she takes the hat pin out and she goes after the little girl who's got the balloons all over her like she's gonna pop her balloons but prior to that moment there's just non-stop yammering and dealing with all of this sort of stuff and uh the dog that they gave me they actually asked if i wanted to use my dog pepper um but i was like no 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 because i would worry about how she was like she would distract me to no end um and so i think it was the sound guy had a chihuahua so they gave me his chihuahua who was very sweet but a chihuahua so they shake anyway so i'm holding this dog in the back of the house or actually beyond the back of the house like in the back sort of lobby because of the way the theater is set up and like just trying to breathe down and trying to get centered and trying to be like you do know this you do know this you you have learned this and like people are coming in late and asking me i got there too early that was my mistake like i got to my places a little too early because one woman was like hi where are our seats like I'm holding a dog and I'm clearly dressed in period costume are you are you not guessing that maybe I don't work here in that capacity and one woman saw me and she was like well who are you and I'm like I can't I can't talk to any of you I barely know that dang it get inside so we go inside and the show starts and I like I, I can't the dog is shaking my brain has gone on to overload and I just wanted to get the dog out of my hands because I didn't want to start worrying about the dog like as Julia worrying about the dog and that does happen in the scene I do pass the dog off to or at least it happened in our production I don't know that I pass the dog off to Uncle Jocko I think it is actually in the scene I think it is part of it and um and just in my zeal to get rid of the dog, I just passed the dog off much earlier than normal. But when I did it, both he and I leapt to the part 
where I actually yeah. passed the dog up. So we skipped like a page and a half of random dialogue. And I didn't know it well enough to be like, oh, I see what we did. I'll just keep going. It's fine. Instead, my brain was like, what's happening? What's happening? Danger zone, danger zone. It was a, it was a bit of a shot out of the cannon first night. And then we calmed down. Um, but she is an incredibly satisfying role to play. And also, like, my Louise was Caroline Bowman, who is now playing Elsa on the national tour of Frozen. Oh, I am obsessed And with she it. is phenomenal. <laughs> and um, it was just, it was a great cast, great cast. And it makes all the difference every single time. But it, it was really enjoyable. I would love the opportunity to do it again. Also because... I mean, this is very kind that people said this, but when I did it, people were like, well, you're too young for that. I'm like, well, that's nice. But actually, I disagree with you. I think she is supposed to be my age, partially because I have an eight. My brother is 18 years younger than I am. So I know exactly what that time frame looks like. And Rose should have had Louise when she was 18 and had it screw everything up. Mm -hmm. And... And to me, sort of the opposite of what I was saying about Wicked, I feel like because although a lot of time does get, uh, is spanned in Gypsy, the the um, trend has become that she's gotten cast older and older. Yeah. And I think there is something about, I mean, no matter where you cast her, I suppose, but like, I think she has to feel when you meet her like viable and um, I think you have to feel like, oh, she's going to sleep with that guy to get her daughter this job. Oh, mm-hmm. as opposed to like, oh, she's going to try and sleep with that guy. Like, and I don't mean that as a slag to any woman who has yeah. played this role, but I just mean, I don't think I'm the wrong age for it. And what's nice about it is I hope, I'll have another chance to play it because I am on the younger side of the way they cast it. So, you know, I hope someone casts you in it too. Cause I want to see it. <laughs> I also think something that like confuses people. And I have definitely talked about this. Like I do some like mini sods with my sister where we just talk about musicals sometimes is that I have found I Laura Benanti is so good as Louise. She's so good. And I'm prefacing the statement with that. I adore her. She deserved that Tony, but I think something that sometimes happens because Louise is played by a child and then immediately switches to being played by by the full-blown adult who's going to play her at the end. I think some people forget how young she actually was and is and how like that whole thing can be aged down and I'm obsessed with that. I mean that moment when when Rose flips and it is like my daughter will do it. Like it should be she's like my age she but i mean and rose is in that pantheon of characters that make it very hard for you to love them mm-hmm. but you still pull for her i i i my desire was that you still pull for her as opposed to get that bat out of here cuz she's awful like <laughs> i i wanted the audience to still feel uh a sympathy for her and that her desire, it is all about her children. Absolutely. And yes, the whole thing ends with for me, for me, for me. But I think in a way that's as much a realization in the moment as it is for for her. 
and it's it's tricky because that number ends and there's this tiny little book scene where Louise and Rose like kind of walk off into the sunset together. It's 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 a little wrappy up in a bow, but um, yeah. yeah, I would I would love the chance to get to do it again. And to to just tack on the end of that before we move on because I'm keeping you for way too long. Um, there is a video, speaking of Caroline Bowman, who I'm obsessed with, there's a video of Julia and Caroline at 54 Below singing Eva's Week, and she's making a face because I've absolutely told her how obsessed with this <laughs> I am. Everyone needs to go watch it right now because it's, once again, commitment. Again, another commitment really, really subtle performance from me. <laughs> it's awesome. But honestly, we talked about it, and we are like, so for those who don't know, And Eva's Week is from the musical Carrie, and we Caroline and I were like okay the only way we can do this is if we do it straight up we can't wink we can't Ooh. be like y'all we know this is ridiculous we have to be like this is the story we're telling the story and the hardest part is that there's a whole moment where I'm supposed to basically throw her into like a cellar kind of thing and close the, the thing and we're like how do we do that we're on this tiny <laughs> stage if you do for below and like she just sinks down a little bit and we're like should you crawl under the piano what should you do and i don't think she did i think in the end she just kind of sunk down yeah. and called it and a few people giggled but how i do not blame them i do not blame them but i had to continue forward in this rather intense moment that so her mother intense. has um and just hope for the best because <laughs> yeah head played straight up and you feel it when you watch it for something that's like a, a cabaret and you watch other performances from that night that are like funny and and awesome and that one is like so intense i don't even remember through. what the night was what was the night i don't remember i think it was a halloween something okay or other it was because um i think lily cooper sang poor unfortunate souls it seemed like it was like a villain's got it thing got it but it, oh my God, I'm obsessed, obsessed. This one I have to ask about because my sister very specifically was like, you're talking to Julia today. I need you to ask her this question for me. Lennon. Yes. You played Julia. Yes. No. Were you playing like Julia Lennon or were you playing like Julia yourself? I didn't play Julia. Well, I played Julia. So here's the confusion. I played Julia because our, char our character names were our real names. However... John Lennon's mother's name was Julia. Uh-huh. I did not play her. I am named after the song that he wrote for her called Julia, which is on the White Album. But Julia in the musical, the, the woman Julia, who was John Len Lennon's mother, was played by Julie Denau Salkin, a woman called Julie, just to throw it even further, was played by Julie Denau Salkin. I played, so when, when John was very young, Julia, his mother, his birth mother, couldn't handle raising him, and he was sent to live with his Aunt Mimi, and she is who raised him. And then a, a little, like, bit into his childhood, Julia kind of made a, a, a resurface and, and started to have a relationship with him, but he always lived with Mimi. I played Aunt Mimi. But my name is Julia, and I'm named after the actual song that John Lennon wrote about his mother, who was sadly killed when he was, uh, I can't remember, like 13 or something, 15, I'm not sure. Uh, she was hit by a drunk driver while waiting at the bus stop. And, uh, yeah. So, 
That is very confusing. It's very confusing. And what she really wanted to know, what is Yoko Ono like? What is it like to be in the presence of Yoko Ono? She's very tiny. Uh, she's very soft-spoken. She was very kind to all of us, I have to say. Uh, she is a brilliant business mind in that she uh, had final say on everything in the show, but I don't believe she had a dime invested in the show. Uh, so she didn't lose any money, uh, but some people did. And um, she wasn't involved a ton. It wasn't, it wasn't like she was there every day or anything close to it. Um, but she definitely had say. Like, we weren't allowed to sing any Beatles music because she said no. And uh, we skirted around that a little bit uh, by singing, like, parts of Money and Twist and Shout, which were not written by the Beatles. Um, and, yeah. So, I mean, that kind of stuff. But, um, but she did come several times. And she had, like, sort of dedicated seats. And so it was very easy for us to eyeball if she was there that night, if, if the information hadn't come to us. And they would take her that that theater has an alleyway uh, that's attached actually to a bunch of other theaters. And that was like her holding pen basically before the show, because she couldn't just like sit in her seat yeah. with whoever she brought and chill. The people aren't going to leave her and be like, Yo, you know, like, it, so she would. Um, I mean, and she's a she's a fascinating, fascinating woman to me in that. I mean, a. She. So first of all, she was she was wealthy before she met John. She comes from wealthy family, and she was a, a big artist and and stuffs. And um, so her business acumen, I think, comes by com comes to her very honestly. And um, I believe, from what I understand, she has a lot, a lot of real estate, and that'll do it if you have the right real estate. But she still lives in the Dakota. She still really? lives in the building where. John was murdered and like you have to walk like you walk over the place where he fell it's impossible you can't go into the building without that's fascinating to me like just psychologically yeah. it's fascinating I also think the um, uh, the notion of what could it possibly be like to be someone who has been vilified in the press for 50 years for 50 uh, uh. plus years pardon me plus years because they all hated her because they thought she broke up the Beatles and the Beatles broke up the Beatles was she a catalyst I don't know sure but she didn't do it like she was she didn't like prick her finger in blood and sign this contract with the devil that says we will get rid of the quartet like that's, that's not what happened but People, they were so huge and so influential and people could not handle it. And, and also, frankly, her art is, is very avant-garde and not for everyone. And I think um, easily mockable if, if you choose to not respect it for what it is. It's not my cuppa, but it's, it's what she did. And yeah. the fact yeah. that she just that she did not fold, you know, she didn't become like a recluse in the mountains is so fascinating to me. 
and and say what you will and there can be a lot said their love story because we watched it was made uh so much video was made um we were given access to so much and during rehearsal the whole last hour of rehearsal uh, every day for most of our six weeks or whatever we rehearsed for was movie time and we would sit and watch videos and stuff that had some of which like people hadn't seen and we had a little bin of our no. wonderful stage manager Artie Gaffin who's no longer with us shout out to Artie um he had this bin filled with like Twizzlers and candy and cookies and you he would go over and he'd be like who wants what and we would sit down and we would watch stuff you know and to see them together they were obsessed with each other they were so into each other like maybe to an even obsessive point it like that is a little creepy I don't know but all I know is that as angry as anyone could have been at the time to to deny those two people the love story that they had is an unfair uh, equivalency. Uh, but she's a fascinating creature. And I do have, for opening night, um, we all got, and this was in 2005. So this was right when uh, they were brand new. We all got iPods that on the back, it was engraved. And it said, imagine peace, love Yoko 05. What? Yeah. Yeah. I became convinced that she had like a closet of them and just turned to her assistant, Brian, and was like, Brian, go get some iPods for the kids, you know, for the kids. But uh, yeah, I and I sadly, I know where I'm looking on the shelf because I know where I used to have that. I don't know where that is anymore. I, I didn't throw it out, but it's somewhere. But brilliant. Yeah. That's so brilliant. That was our swag. We've got these last two because I'm, I kept you for way longer than I meant to. I'm so sorry. Sorry, bring them on. Bring them on. Wild party. Uh We got to talk about the wild party. What do you want to know? Obsessed with the wild party. What? I mean, okay, for people who don't know, there were, but way back in the year 2000, there was two wild parties, one on Broadway, one off Broadway at the exact well, they didn't run at the same time, but it was in happening at the same time. We overlapped. Which is the wildest thing I've ever heard. They opened after we closed, right after we closed, actually. Yeah, like that's that's bonkers. But Julia was in the Lip a Wild Party off Broadway. If you have not listened to the album, go do it. I'm obsessed. It's so good. Um, just that character. Like Queenie is such an interesting character. I very recently read the poem for the first time. I've been trying to find a copy of it. I can't find it anywhere. Really? I, girl, I went to Barnes & Noble and I went to the customer service desk. And I was like, do you have this, this book? That's so and interesting. They said, he, he looked it up. He said, there are six. At all of our warehouses that supply this store, there are six copies. You know what's wild about that is the whole reason that the two got written at the same time is because the poem had this reissue. Uh I assume it's what you got with the illustrations in it. The one I re- I didn't get one. Oh, the one I, I just read a PDF because I couldn't oh. get a copy of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I haven't. I, that's why I wanted. I want to see the illustrations. The illustrations are, are beautiful, but the illustration the the poem had this re-release with these illustrations by a guy called Art Spiegelman. That's his name. 
Um, and Art Spiegelman, Spiegelman had made uh, a cartoon uh, called, uh, like a comic strip called Mouse, M-A-U-S, and it was about a mouse in the Holocaust. I have seen those. So that's Art Spiegelman's work. So there was this release of the poem, The Wild Party, which was written in like 1929 by this man, uh, Joseph Moncure March, and Art Spiegelman did these illustrations to it. So the book was like just really cool. And it's a short poem. It's not a very lengthy poem. And there are all these cool illustrations. And that book was on the like new and noteworthy table at Barnes and Noble, where both one Andrew Lippa and one Michael John LaCusa, who, yes, wrote Queen of the Mist, um, saw it and were like, yeah, that's a musical. So it's so fascinating to me that you couldn't find one after the fact that that's that's why it all went down um yeah and uh it was definitely the party line all along was always there's room for both there's room for both and in the end we kind of ate each other alive and and in the end that was just as like the the era of the review in the new york times being the decision that was just ending, but we were still part of it. And boy, did Ben Brantley hate the wild party. He hated it. He hated ours. He hated theirs. He hated it. I think it just didn't, it wasn't his cuppa. And he made that crystal clear. And we got very nice reviews in other places, but we could not, because there was another one, because there was confusion already about there being two because they hadn't opened. So nobody yeah. knew if if they had gone ahead and made this million dollar gamble to try and override the times and move us to Broadway, which was the plan. Um, but if the other one opened and he had been like, this is the one, this is the God's gift, this, they would have been doomed. We would have been doomed yeah. rather. And so they made the decision to not move it. And in the end, he didn't like theirs either. And then they closed. And then there were no wild parties. <laughs> we went from two to zero. I understand it. Look, it is, talk about a cast of no one to root for. There's no one to root yeah. for at this party. They are all horrid people. They are drunk drug addicts who are screwing with each other, like playing mental mind games uh, to the nth degree. While there's a kid there. While there is a minor there, that is correct, Nadine. And uh, which is like, and, and the two musicals are very, very different. Mm -hmm. They're very different in tone. The, the big thing they have in common is that they both have uh, same character names. And, uh, and the opening lines are exactly the same because it's the opening lines of the poem. And then it veers off because the poem's not long. And so, you know, just take off with your imagination. But... Um, it's it's hard. It's hard to be like, oh, I hope she wins. Oh, she's awful. Oh, I hope he get. Oh my God, he hit her. Like, it's it's a decadent. It's not meant to necessarily be anything but a decadence. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's not. I don't know what the cautionary tale is. Don't throw an insane party filled with cocaine and booze. It's a cautionary tale. Also, maybe just a fun yeah. fact. Like, <laughs> control your guests, you know, these, these sorts of things. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was, to, to me, 
my favorite. You know, it's still, it doesn't matter that, um, Pepper. My dog's making an appearance, you guys. Um, okay. I would never consider that production a flop for a lot of reasons. I mean, A, because it was like my heart, but also because that show, uh, Lippa's production of that, or Lippa's uh, writing of that show has gone on to be done by every university. Because like I said before, it means it has a lot of people. It fills, it checks a lot of boxes for a school show. You know, it's really too mature for a high school, but um, they tried to make a junior version at one point. I saw it. Oh my God. Yeah, I saw it. Uh, and you're like, no, no, no. Some things aren't meant to have junior versions. Yeah, that's a, that's a choice. Yeah, it was, <laughs> they tried. It did not succeed. Um, but I mean, to me, every year there's a new crop of kids who graduate from whatever school and I run into them at a Starbucks in Midtown and they go, oh my God, I just did the wild party. Like every year it's still being done over and over. And all because of, oh, that's my dog choking on a hairball. You all right there? Okay. Um, okay. Now she's going to have a moment. Are you having a moment? Okay. My love. Oh, baby. Um, but yeah, I mean, because also the, the music just doesn't, it doesn't lose its potency. You know, it's just, they're super fun, very let me feel my feelings songs. And oh, yeah. yeah. And young people, old people, whatever, <laughs> like to sing that way and, and, and stretch their chops, their vocal chops. And so it's, it's a, to me, that can't possibly be considered a failure, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And talk about like female roles with so much to, to dig into. Yeah. Like, Queenie and Kate are so complex in completely different ways. Yes. Just as, just as the leading two women. And it's like, you know, it's a very ensemble piece, like you said. So like, yeah, they're the, the those characters are so impressive and there's so much there like i'm sure to to play that in college is such a welcome challenge yeah i I would imagine yes yes so it's it's a i'm very proud of that show and my time in it and the friends that i made from it and all of that and and i'm there is no uh part of me if someone wants to talk about it, like randomly on the street or, or something, then I'm like, oh God, that show again? Like, I'm like, sure, what do you want to know? I'm happy to, I'm, I'm happy it made you happy or made you, you know, feel passionate about it. It makes me glad. I mean, it's because of Lippa, so you know, I mean, Lippa's the one who wrote it. He's, he's the reason for the season, but I, I had a, I had something to do with it, and that was that's nice. Yeah, that makes me so happy. That's yeah, it's fabulous. It's so good. The very last one, yes, is between the lines because it's your new your new musical. I hope so. That, <laughs> yeah, that was supposed to happen. Then a pandy happened. We were supposed to have uh, start rehearsals a week after the shutdown. And um, it's a it's a sweet show. 
it's I mean I feel like uh, if it does happen it shouldn't happen until next year anyway just because the fall let the big boys figure it out and and I think it's going to be I hope I hope I am wrong I hope what I'm about to say that Emily at some point you're going to be like oh remember when you thought and you were totally wrong I hope that's the case I fear that it's going to be a messy the reopen. Yeah. I mean, if you look at what's happening in the West End, like a bunch cool. of shows have had to shut down and then they open up again and then they should like, I fear that that's going to happen here. And obviously, uh, yes, of course, I would like theater to be back up and I would like everyone to be working again and all that kind of stuff. But I would also like everyone to be healthy. And it's so impossible to understand how to gauge what to do with this yeah. thing. So, um, and Between the Lines is not political or edgy or sexy. It's sweet. It's sweet. And so I think it belongs in a time that's feeling a little not riddled with question marks all over it. It's, yeah. it's there for like a, a nice comfort level. And uh, I'm very excited. But the, the, the women who wrote it, the women who are the um, uh, composer lyricist team, Kate Anderson and Elisa Samsel, are fantastic. There's a show on Apple TV Plus uh, called an animated show called Central Park, which I highly recommend. It's adorable. Mm-hmm. It's it's beyond adorable. It's funny, and it stars all these people that you love, um, and like Leslie Odom Jr. and David Diggs, and like, it's on and on. But um, other people not involved in Hamilton uh, and uh, Kate and Elisa uh, wrote a lot of the songs that are in Central Park not all of them but a lot of them and um, they're just they're wildly talented I love them and and the uh, show itself is based on a young adult novel that the novelist Jody P. Cole who has like I don't know 12 New York Times bestsellers or something she wrote she co-wrote a young adult novel with her daughter who's a grown person and um so this is the musical of that novel and it's really sweet so sweet and I hope it happens but at this point I'm just like I just hope the Olympics happens to bring it all full circle (laughs) yeah uh and we just have to take it as it comes because everything's a question beyond that i mean i'm i'm supposed to do a couple concerts at 54 below in january i am hoping that by january things will be doable as opposed to things will be on hold again but january 2nd and 3rd y'all i will be there (laughs) ready uh the very last question i have for you Uh, which is the question I ask everybody on the show. Because this is a podcast where I interview people who inspire me, I would love to know who inspires you. Uh, Well, my immediate thought, and I've discussed this already, Olympians. (laughs) I mean, just because they're right in the forefront of my brain. Um, And frankly... My friends inspire me. I can't. I have friends who have become like great activists during this time 
and really spoken out about a lot of things that needed speaking out about. And that's not necessarily my ministry. I'm, I'm, I'm the one who will donate the money and I'll like make the phone call. Like I, but I admire that so much. Uh, I also have, you know, many friends who put up, who made projects during this time and put up videos and, and all these sorts of things. And I frankly, like did not have a song in my heart during this time. And had to go through dealing with feeling like, is that bad? Am I wrong? Am I lacking? Am I whatever? Uh, and the answer is no. That was just what I was going through. And and to that end, I didn't look at anybody else's project and think, oh, Jesus, really? I was like, oh, thank you. You know, like the, yeah. it, it meant so much to me I just didn't have it in me to produce it for anyone else um that inspires me it yesterday I went to the dress rehearsal of this concert that they're doing at the New Amsterdam this whole weekend uh and it's sort of the first official Disney I mean the official show if you will that's back up on Broadway in that they're actually all working under an equity contract for the week and stuff like that um and it's a concert of all Disney on Broadway stuff. And it's a big old concert and it's four people and three of whom I know, three of whom I've worked with. And uh, to sit there and be like, look at that. And, and it's like, I don't know, 22 songs and they're all 11 o'clock numbers. Like every time someone gets up to sing a solo, it's just like you have to knock it out, knock it out, knock it out. And I know they're tired only because I spoke to them and saw them afterwards, but you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know it to watch it. And that's inspiring. It's inspiring to know that they are there and ready to let people have it. That's inspiring. It, it, it is. My, my friends inspire me. They do. Julia, you're just the best. I love you, man. You're awesome. You're so cool. Thanks, dude. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. Uh, everyone looking for Julia on social media, all of her links are going to be in the show notes, as well as all of the uh, little videos I mentioned. Every single one of them. <laughs> find every single one of them and put them there so you can all watch them. <laughs> that'd, that'd be like, have, like, sit down with some food and enjoy your weekend, because... Yes. Julia Murray weekend. Julia, thank you so much. Everyone else, thank you so much for listening. And we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Emily.